Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and three things up for review this week. First off, there's the Baz Luhrmann Elvis biopic. Then there's the Austin-esque film Mr. Malcolm's List. And finally, the animated film Minions The Rise of Gru. First up is Elvis, which is the Elvis Presley biopic. It's directed by Baz Luhrmann, and I am not a big Baz Luhrmann person. I think my favorite film of his is probably Strictly Ballroom, which tells you, you know, given where his career has gone versus where it started, um, you know, Elvis is more in line with his later works. And yeah, so I think the big thing about this film is that it's fine. It really relies on the strength of the music to me. And I think working with music is something that Baz Luhrmann is pretty good at. You know, as much as I didn't like Moulin Rouge, I thought his use of popular music in it was creative. So Elvis, obviously you have some of the best source material there is to work with. The strange thing about the film is that it is sort of told through the lens of Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's manager. He's played by Tom Hanks, who was doing, I don't know, his best sort of Bobo Dracula impression. I think Tom Parker was Dutch. Supposedly, this is not a very accurate representation of Tom Parker's voice, but it is strange to have a movie about Elvis where Elvis doesn't actually necessarily feel like he's making the decisions in it that drive the film forward I think that was possibly intentional but the way it is presented doesn't work for me like Elvis is a passenger in his own movie but you've called the movie Elvis so (laughs) I know Austin Butler is getting a lot of praise for this role I think he's fine you know I think it's a it's we've seen a lot of people take on this role and do a decent job he works a lot better as young Elvis than he does as later Vegas Elvis for understandable reasons you know it is hard to age someone also speaking of looks and etc the prosthetics they have Tom Hanks in are truly something else I I just look it look it up it's that that should tell you the quality level where we're at so I think the things that do work the best about the movie are the music you know there's some fun remixes obviously Elvis's music is catchy the thing I had forgotten that I think this film tries to delve into a little bit but doesn't go there enough for me is that you know Elvis was really a cover artist he took a lot of his music from uh, black artists and then you know put his white face on it and repackaged it and you know obviously his voice is good all these things but the he didn't write his own music which is something I think a lot of us forget you know he's possibly the greatest cover artist of all time uh he's also one of the greatest you know solo selling artists of all time but I think this movie tries to acknowledge more of the source of his songs and eventual success than other projects have But to me, like, the real story I want to be is, like, how these people were essentially screwed over by, you know, this process. Um, I do think Elvis had some involvement in civil rights and maybe, like, a tiny bit of progression there. But the movie doesn't focus on that. It's a two-hour, 40-minute movie. You had time to focus on those things. I don't know why we just kind of sort of shuttle back and forth between concerts and then Tom Hanks manipulating things behind the scenes and then, you know, and then Austin Butler trying to do Elvis. It's just, I think if this movie had been a tight two hours, it's, you know... I think it would have been a lot better for me. But the reason that you go to this movie is the same reason probably that you people, you, anyone, royal you, continue to go to Vegas Elvis impersonator shows is that there is something about the way that Elvis sings. And and Austin Butler apparently does do the singing in this. And I think he does a good job of giving the vibe of Elvis. But, you know, that will probably continue to be a driving force for many, many more years to come. You know, I don't think his legacy is necessarily going anywhere. I don't know if Elvis the film adds anything in particular to his legacy I don't know if it takes away you know presenting Tom Parker as this villainous character in his life it's like all right well we've already hit the point where Elvis has been sort of put on a pedestal and and shrined up and you know so why why are you trying to tell us like yes this was why he had darker days like 
we know already and we've moved past that. I also have to flag, I know it is part of their history, but the whole Priscilla Presley, you know, thing, she was 10 years younger than him when they met. She was 14, he was 24. There's no world in which that's okay. And the movie tries to sort of gloss over that or show them a little bit later on all these things, but I, you know, I don't know if it glorifies it but at no point does any character go like hey buddy like should you be and maybe that's not how it went down in real life I think actually to to sum it all up one of the things and challenges of this movie is that it feels like it was sanitized and it's the same problem that something like Bohemian Rhapsody had with Freddie Mercury's portrayal where or even you know even Rockin' Man to a degree where Elton John I think was willing to be more vulnerable with the story they were telling but you can tell the Presley estate uh, has been all over the Elvis film and you know there's a, an approved like we can only go so far into his demons and then that's the line same went for Bohemian Rhapsody you know Bohemian Rhapsody like not even fully acknowledging that like Freddie Mercury was just gay you know it's no beating around that bush but anyway I think the sanitization of it takes away from it I think the runtime takes away from it I think if you're a big Elvis fan you're gonna have a great time right if you are on the fence about it you know maybe consider waiting till it's out on some sort of I think it'll be on HBO Max relatively quickly I personally am gonna give it 3.6 out of 5. I'm gonna take a quick break and be right back and I'm back and then the next film I have is called Mr. Malcolm's List it is basically like an amalgamation of all those sort of Regency Jane Austen type books uh, presented in a script form. I didn't realize that apparently it had actually been a short which was from the same uh, writer director combo. Uh, Emma Holly Jones is the director or the writer is Suzanne Elaine and I there are things I liked about this movie. It is uh, it quotes colorblind casting and that meaning you know uh, there's somebody who is Asian who plays the mother of a black woman um, you know it, it stars I should go back to who it stars it stars Frida Pinto, Sope Derisu, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Ashley Park, Zoe Ashton, Theo James, and Nauka Mori and I, you know it's the same story that we've seen over and over uh, basically Sope plays Mr. Malcolm who is a you know a man with an estate and, and an income and allowance and blah 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 and you know he's looking for his perfect bride or match or whatever and he has a list and if women don't meet up to it you know it's basically Mr. Darcy right it's Mr. Darcy uh, and then there's a whole complicated like side plot where Zoe Ashton plays a, a socialite-esque I can't remember what the British equivalent of you know that time is but uh, an eligible bachelorette who feels spurned by him and then she concocts this elaborate scheme to humiliate him back and enlist her friend played by Frida Pinto. So again I think the thing I liked the most about this was just sort of the truly committing to the colorblind casting and a lot of the times I've talked about this repeatedly colorblind casting does not include Asian people and so the fact that there are Asian people in this made me so happy. Apparently the short had Gemma Chan and I'm sad that she didn't make it into this one. I'm gonna assume it's because she was probably working on like Eternals or something and had another opportunity. I think that was probably a better role for her than this. At the end of the day I think the biggest challenge I have with this film is that it is definitely derivative which is not a blocker on its own but I didn't feel any sort of passion or chemistry between any of the characters like you're supposed to you know ship them for lack of a better word because you know there are protagonists but I wasn't like yes these two belong together and these two belong together and oh no they're star-crossed what will happen you know I also got the sense that and this is the case with many of these films you know or stories even you will get a happy ending and so I didn't feel a sense of stakes there there were also some character choices that I was like these people are monsters like why would 
any of them be in the same social circles, friends, etc., etc. I think if you are completely out of other adaptations and just looking to scratch that itch, that very chaste version of Bridgerton or Pride and Prejudice, you know, that type of thing, yeah, this is fine. This is up your alley. But if you are looking for that sort of great passion, you know, next original story in this realm, mm, this is probably not going to be it for you. But I'm still going to give Mr. Malcolm's List 3.7 out of 5. And then the last film I have this week is Minions, The Rise of Gru. I don't know when I tapped out of this franchise. I think it was a little while ago, but this is apparently with very good reason. So one, I don't know. I mean, I guess it made sort of sense. I, I The last one I definitely remember is like Despicable Me, maybe Despicable Me too. I haven't watched the Minions offshoots. Uh, Steve Carell is back as Gru, so there's your sort of uh, thread between them. And this one is like a prequel about Gru as a kid and his coming together with the Minions and rising to supervillain fame and I don't know. The problem is it just sort of dumps you in and I guess expects you to either go, okay, this film is not going to be rocket science. We don't need to give you any backstory or context on who these things are or people. I don't know. Minions are people? Whatever. And then it also goes, okay, well, for kids, they're just going to go banana and be happy, right? That, to me, does not a movie make. And I feel like at this point, they shouldn't even be trying to insert like the humans. And if you're going to do the cash grab, just stick it to the minions. Because I think they're actually more fun when they're just sort of allowed to play and do their little like ridiculous things. And, you know, animation is a medium. It is not a genre. And therefore, you should be holding animated films to the same integrity level that you hold other films. You know, this is an animated film, I think, aimed at children. But I shouldn't, you know, as an adult, I shouldn't be punished for seeing this as, you know, as a reviewer, my entire career is punishment for myself. But anyway, so Steve Carell is grew, and then you've got a super talented voice cast who feel so wasted in it. You've got this sort of crew of sinister, you know, bad people uh, with Taraji P. Henson, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Lucy Lawless, Dolph Lundgren, Danny Trejo, Russell Brand, Alan Arkin, and then Julie Andrews is like briefly back. And then Part of the reason for me, I was like, okay, maybe I'll consider watching this is because Michelle Yeoh joined this one. And then I, you can just feel the like Asia market money grab in it where the beginning is just some weird, you know, they just dump you into an Indiana Jones-esque but set in Asia setup. And then the movie just sort of tangents from there. I feel like this movie is like 80% training montages, which does not a movie make. If you want to make a bunch of dumb shorts that are minions training or whatever it is, like fine, but don't pretend it's a feature with a cohesive story so Michelle Yao plays some sort of kung fu master which I don't I have mixed feelings on that like I before I would have been like Michelle Yao can do no wrong and now I'm like oh was this wrong it felt like it was flirting with it if you have little kids and you are so trapped and so tapped for content this weekend yeah you might have to go see this I don't have a better recommendation for you on that front for like little little kids you are anybody else I don't think this is for you even if you're a Minions fan which I don't know if there's anything wrong with that inherently I'm saying that with a rise to my voice but yeah uh Minions Rise of Gru was not I did not find it to have any sort of coherent enjoyable aspects to it so I'm gonna give it 2.7 out of 5. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing. 